Welcome to the podcast ministry of Pilgrim Baptist Church. Wherever you're listening from, welcome. We pray that the truth from the Word of God speaks to your heart during today's message. Daniel 4, 13. Uh, Now, Nebuchadnezzar is the king, and here we have in verse number 13, I saw in the visions on my head, upon my bed, and behold, a watcher and an holy one came down from heaven. He cried aloud and said thus, Hew down the tree and cut off his branches, shake off his leaves and scatter his fruit. Let the beast get away from under it and the fowls from his branches. Now there's a lot there, but we're going to key in on why does God have a watcher if he knows everything? What does the watcher do? He watches. What else? Who? Who? What? what? I don't have much more information than you do because we're reading the same text, but God has a watcher to watch some things. And, and we'll continue reading, nevertheless, verse 15. Leave the stump of his roots in the earth, even with the band of iron and brass and the tender grass of the field, and let it be wet with the dew of heaven. And let his portion be with the beasts in the grass of the earth. Let his heart be changed from man's, and let a beast's heart be given unto him, and let seven times pass over him. This matter is by the decree of the who? Watchers. God isn't watching King Nebuchadnezzar. God has watchers watching King Nebuchadnezzar. But it's not God doing the watching. The point of this is, does God know everything? Well, he could if he wanted to. But in this case, he has watchers doing it. God's not there, but the watcher is. And the demand by the word of the holy ones, to the intent that the living may know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of God, and giveth it to whomsoever he will, and setteth up over it the beast, the basis of men. But God has watchers in place that are watching over the affairs of the king. What does all that mean? All I know is by the time we get to go to verse 33, in the same hour was the thing fulfilled upon Nebuchadnezzar, and he was driven from men and did eat grass as oxen. The next thing you know, he's eating grass. But as we discuss the attribute of God's knowledge, we see that God has these watchers in place. And that's all we're given to Daniel for regarding watchers and the holy ones. What does that mean? Well, it means God wasn't there, but God had somebody in place that was there. Go to Hosea. Next, uh, next book. Hosea chapter seven. Look at verse number number one. This is pay attention here to 
to this one verse of scripture. When I would have healed Israel, then the iniquity, the iniquity of Ephraim was discovered. How come the iniquity of Ephraim had to be discovered? God searched it out, or he sent someone to search it out, like we saw with watchers, and something was discovered. God searches your heart. He's going to discover something. And the wickedness of Samaria, for they commit falsehood, and the thief cometh, and the troop of robbers spoil it without. God didn't, what I'm saying is God didn't know it until he discovered it. And there's searching, there's watching, there's trying. All of this is part of God's attribute and the way that he has ordained his knowledge to come about. And God's omnipotent. He's, he's all powerful. He can do things without having to know every single little detail. But as he searches out and discovers things, his ways are always coming to pass. But there's a discovering here. There's watchers sent. For us, an application is there's a searching and a discovering in your heart from God. Um, here's one. Go to Habakkuk. Keep flipping forward. We come to the book of Habakkuk. And we'll be in chapter one, Habakkuk chapter number one. Verse number 12, art thou not from everlasting, O Lord my God, mine holy one? We talked about how our likeness is going to be like that holy one. That's something to think about from this morning's message. We shall not die. O Lord, thou hast ordained them for judgment, and O mighty God, thou hast established them for correction. Now look at verse 13. Thou art of purer eyes than to behold evil and canst not look on iniquity. Wherefore, lookest thou upon them that deal treacherously and holdest thy tongue when the wicked devoureth the man that is more righteous than he? God's eyes are pure, and he wants our eyes to be pure like his eyes. God's not looking at filth on the internet. He don't want your eyes looking at filth on the internet to discover that filth. Don't misunderstand. God knows this world's wicked. God knows iniquity. God knows. Don't, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But God is not looking at, at, at all of the sin that's going on as if he's a part of it. Sodom and Gomorrah. Once the information came to God, and he, wow, okay, that's wicked. We're destroying that place. But it says, thou art of purer eyes than to behold evil and canst not look on iniquity. God is not looking on all of the filth that's going on. He's a holy God. He gets the report back in Genesis about Sodom and Gomorrah. And then there we go, fire and brimstone. 
Same with Babylon. God says, okay, that's going to be enough. Watchers, reporters, discovering is occurring. Zechariah. Look at the book of Zechariah. Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah 1. Zechariah 1. I know you want more on Daniel 4. I certainly would like more about the watchers. And you probably would want more about going to and fro from the earth in Zechariah 1. But we'll see what we can get. Verse 7, Zechariah 1, 7. Upon the four and twentieth day of the eleventh month, which is the month of Sabbat, in the second year of Darius, came the word of the Lord unto Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, the son of Iddo, the prophet, saying, I saw by night, and behold, a man riding upon a red horse. And he stood among the myrtle trees that were in the bottom and beheld him were their red horses. And behind him were their red horses, speckled and white. Then said I, Oh, my Lord, what are these? And the angel that talked with me said unto me, I will show thee what these be. And the men that stood among the myrtle trees answered and said, these are they whom the Lord hath sent to walk to and fro through the earth. And they answered the angel of the Lord that stood among the myrtle trees and said, We have walked to and fro through the earth, and behold, all the earth sitteth still and is at rest. So there's your verse to say that, you know, there is no rotation of the earth and all that. Come on. You really think that's what it means? But do you think it might mean that there's no war going on? Do you think there might be there's some peace there? Do you think it might mean that the earth is still and at rest? Or do you think that means it's just flat sitting there and it just doesn't move? Come on. Come on. Know your Bible in the context of how it's put. All right. There's times of war. There's times of peace. There's times of sitting still. And then there's times of march on. It has absolutely nothing to do with the shape of the earth. Okay? But you have, getting back to the point of where we're at, you have these guys that are walking to and fro through the earth. And, oh, where is it? So, so what are these? What are these? Best I can gather, they're extracting information. The Lord has people in place to gather information. I don't know. The, the young generation calls them minions, you know. <laughs> Who are your minions? Who's, who's your minion, you know? They're working for God. They're, they're gathering information for God. But none of that would make sense if God just knew everything. Because the attribute of him is he allows his, all of his creation to play a part in his work. This is why we can go out and play a part in God's work. And when a soul is saved, yes, God foreknows and is predetermined that that soul will be made like him. And it's the same idea, even though we're dealing with Israel stuff here, it's the same idea here. God has 
minions <laughs> going to and from the earth, gathering and extracting information for him. It wouldn't make sense if he just knew everything. God chooses, he so powerfully can choose what he desires to know. And he can still remain all powerful. And go, let's go to the New Testament, Matthew 7. Matthew 7. Now, I was taken to this verse yesterday. This kind lady said, I want you to go to Matthew 7. Okay, okay. I'm thinking, let me guess. We're going to go to verse 1. So we go to Matthew 7, verse 1. And I'm thinking to myself, I know she's only going to allow me to read two words. Judge not. It says, see, you see, that's what you're doing. You shouldn't be here. You don't even follow the book that you say you believe. And she goes on about, you know, the fairy tale God and the fairy tale, all, all that whole thing. But I was able to blurt out uh, my thoughts on, can we keep reading? That you be not judged. And this whole idea for with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. If you're going to be, if you're going to be mean and nasty to somebody and judge them, and if you measure that out to them, expect that it would be fair for the other person to treat you the same way. Okay. However you judge someone, it is fair for them to judge you using that same measuring stick. Okay. I am going to judge all things through the word of God. Um, you judge what I say through the word of God. I judge what you say through the word of God. And we can't go wrong because every word of God is pure. That's the measuring stick. We are, we were all going to be judged. It's just an attempt to take out the attribute of God as a judging God. He is a judgment. He's a God of all judgment. And he does it righteously. Now, us, not so much. But there is judging involved in being a Christian. Lost people judge Christians. And so Christians have the right to judge lost people. Matthew 7, verse 23 is where we really want to be. And I'm enjoying the rabbit trails this afternoon. Matthew 7, 23. Let's get back on the course. Matthew 7, 23 says, And then will I profess unto them, this is Jesus speaking, I never knew you. Jesus himself says right here, he testifies to the fact that there's going to be people that I don't know. And then he says, depart from me, ye that work iniquity. This is an excellent passage of scripture because it is giving two powerful truths in one verse. Not only is Jesus saying, hey, there's some things I don't know. There's some people I'm not going to know. Therefore, he doesn't know them. He can't know everything. He's choosing not to know these people. And then he says at the same time, well, depart from me. So Jesus can't be everywhere. Because if Jesus says, depart from me, and, the, and, and that person departs, and then Jesus is ending up where they departed to, he'd have to say it again. It'd just be this circle of Jesus saying, hey, get away from me. 
depart from me. Oh, there he is. Depart from me. Look, if Jesus says depart from me, it presupposes that he's not going to be there. Does that make sense? He's not there. He isn't everywhere. He's in me. He dwells in me. He dwells in you as a believer. When we go out and we do our public evangelism, we are witnessing to people where Jesus, the Holy Spirit, doesn't reside. He's not there. The presence of God is within us. The kingdom of God is within. We have God's presence, and it's not going to leave us. Is God everywhere? Well, if he has a Christian in every town, he is. You see? This is why Daniel's 70th week is going to be so deceptively horrible. Because there ain't going to be a body with God's Holy Spirit dwelled in. Now, he's going to deal with things in a different way during that time that we're not going to get into. But the point is, Matthew 7, 23, the point for tonight is God says, Profess some of them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. He can't know all things because he says right here, well, there's people he don't know. I've said this before. Is it worse for a child To not have their dad around? Or do you think it's worse for a child where they don't even know who their father is in time? There's a longing for children, even grown adults, if their father isn't around or their mother isn't around. To at least get some closure on who they are. It's a tough thing for a child to have to deal with. Now you think of people's souls. And their heavenly creator. I never knew. If you think back to when you were a young person and not knowing your not knowing who your mother or father was, that's a tough thing. I don't know how you get over. It. Lost people don't realize how horrible life and eternity is going to be because they're creators. We preached yesterday and we said, look. You, get, you, got two. you either can have your sins blotted out right now today and become a new creature in Christ. Or you're going to have your name blotted out of the book of life. God's not even going to know. Evangelism is serious business. Bringing the gospel to lost people is serious business. Because once their name is blotted out, that's it. God doesn't know them. I hope you tell somebody about Jesus.
so they can come to the knowledge of him. The last thing we want to hear someone here is, depart from me, ye, ye that work in nature. How about, well done, I give the faithful servant? How about a crown? <laughs> How about, okay? But that's a horrible thing, not having closure and knowing who your father is, who your mother is. God, these lost people. Admin. Luke 12, let's go on another note along this thought. Luke 12. This is how special each and every one of God's created beings are, us as humans. This is why it's a horrible, wicked crime to murder a baby in the womb. Those that do so are murderers, and they're slaying the innocent. And this verse should bring it home. Luke chapter number 12, look at verse 7. But even the very hairs on your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, ye are of more value than many sparrows. Maybe, maybe if you took a razor to your head and you took all of your hairs off, maybe somebody could create a machine that you could put them in, you know, like you put that money in and it and then it tells you how many are there. You might be a man might be able to create that. You know, you shave all your hair, put it, it spits it out, and you have one million or whatever it is number of hairs. God's got each and every one of your hairs numbered. That's an intimate knowing. That is an intimate love. Can you love like that? We can't. It's, it's impossible. But God loves like that. And he has an intimate knowing of who he's created. And he has an infinite long suffering that, that, that they would not perish without him. But that is a far stretch to use that verse and to say, well, you see, God knows everything. No, he absolutely knows this. He absolutely knows who you are. He created you. He loves you. He desires to have a relationship with you. But there will come a day when lost people, if they refuse the offer of the free gift of salvation, there will then become a day when that stops. And God says, I never knew you. That is horrible. You know, it says that long suffering, you know who the long suffering is? It says to usward. In that chapter and verse, who's the us? Believers. You know who God's long suffering to? Yes, this lost and dying world. Yes. But also in addition to usward. He says, not willing that any should perish. So why would he have to be long-suffering to us? Because we won't go out and tell people. And God's patient, and God is long-suffering. And Christians, with Christians, we ought to know better. We're not talking about deep 
deep theology in Daniel 4 and watchers. We're not talking about deep theology in Ezekiel or being able to rightly divide Zechariah. We're not talking about having every single parable in Matthew 13 rightly divided and understanding the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of heaven. We're not talking about stuff that deep, folks. We're talking about simple Bible 101. Are you saved? Go tell somebody how you got saved. I mean, this is simple stuff. And most kids should get in Sunday school. But we have a generation of adult Christians. They don't know their Bible from third base is the problem. Or if they do, they're just not willing to go. And so God says he's long-suffering to us, word. Because <laughs> we won't go. Okay, let's move on. John 21. John 21. John 21, verse 17. Yeah, that would be right. We'll start there and go back a bit. John 21, verse 17. He saith unto him the third time, this is Jesus, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved, because he said unto him the third time, lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee, Jesus saith unto him, feed my sheep. And so you take one verse of scripture and you read it. That's why we're trying to go over all these verses concerning God's knowledge so we can really draw back the lens and get a good perspective of his attribute. But Peter says, "Love." he says, Lord, thou knowest all things. This is Peter's words. But you got to remember in Mark 13, he says, but of that day and of that hour, Knoweth no man, no, not the angels which are in heaven, neither the Son, but the Father. <laughs> There's something the Father knows that day that the Son doesn't know. This is Peter's perspective of what's going on. Peter says, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He says it in verse 15 and verse 16. Jesus, in this whole context, we know it. He's prophesying that Peter. Is going to deny him. And Jesus prophesied that correctly. He, he did. He knew that. He knew. But to take that verse and say, you see, well, that just means Jesus knows everything. No. No. He searches your heart. He'll know all things in your heart. Go to Luke 20. Uh, no, no, no. Yeah, let's do that. Let's go to Luke 22. Luke 22. Luke 22. Watch verse 31. The Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sip you as wheat there is brother the more wheat showing up Jesus knows that Satan desires to have him watch verse 32 but I have prayed for thee that thy faith 
fail none. Jesus is praying for him. Guess what failed? His faith. He denied him three times. Jesus knew Satan wants, has a desire for Simon, Peter. He, he prays. It fails not. And in the end, he can ultimately prophesy that he's going to deny him three times. Work all that out. Woo! I'm telling you, dealing with God. But isn't that a lot to work out in your head? God's just bigger than us. Really is. Go to Acts 17. Acts 17. One of the presuppositions of Reformed theology or Calvinistic theology is this. There's two main presuppositions that they almost require in order to have a conversation. If you don't submit to these two presuppositions, they're going to have a hard time dealing with you. And they may say, well, look, you just don't understand the theology properly. But nonetheless, here are the two presuppositions. One is that if you are not a Calvinist, you're an Arminius. And you believe man has a part in his salvation. They don't give you the ability. They don't give you the ability to have a third option. It's only one or the other. Okay? The other presupposition, which is why we're going over this, is that they presuppose and almost require you to presuppose that God knows everything. Now, if God did know everything, then you can make the philosophy of Reformed theology, systematic theology, Calvinistic theology, you could make that work because if God knows everything, it's a lot easier to make work. Well, look, God just knew before the foundation of the world that you would be saved, and God knew before the foundation of the world that you would be damned, and there really, there really isn't a blessed thing any of us can do about it. But as we saw in the last three messages, the attribute of God isn't that he knows everything. Because we're looking at plenty of things that he doesn't know. Acts 17, verse 24. God, that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth. Praise God. Now here's where God is not. <laughs> Dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worshipped. With men's hands, as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth, giveth to all life and breath and all things. We have got a verse that says, look, God isn't everywhere. He's not there. Where does that mean? Well, let's make some practical application. He's not at Elevation Church. He's not at Benny Hinn's Crusades. He is not in that. And I don't want to meet in a building and act like God's in it when he's not in it. Man-made things, God's not in. He's in stuff when he is being magnified, he is being glorified, he is being lifted up. Well, bless God, there were some nice old, old ladies that were out modestly dressed in feminine uh, attire, and uh, they were very polite, and they were handing out false doctrine is what they were handing out. You think God's in that? He's not 
he is not in that. He's not. He's not in the Mormon temple. He's not in any of that stuff. Well, if not in temples made with hands. Go to uh, Romans 8. We'll just stay there for a minute. Keep moving here. Romans chapter 8, verse 27. Bible says, And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. You've got the Holy Spirit. I'd search your heart. And he's going to make all that prayer stuff. He'll he'll filter it out. But he's going to search you. Uh, Doesn't sound like to me that there's this uh, eternal decree of foreknowledge. No, God's going to search. He's going to search. 1 Corinthians 2. Go through these a little quicker here. 1 Corinthians 2, verse number 10. The Bible says, But God hath revealed them unto us by his spirit for the spirit searcheth all things yea the deep things of God that's searching to find out some things go to 2 Corinthians 13 show you another one 2 Corinthians uh, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians 13 2 Corinthians 3 2 Corinthians 3. Now the Lord uh, is that spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Now read that verse backwards or the opposite. Where would you not have liberty? Duh, where the spirit of the Lord is not. There's a place where the spirit of the Lord is and there's liberty there. And there's a place where the spirit of the Lord is not. And there is no liberty there. Uh, Hebrews chapter number eight. Hebrews eight. Uh, verse number 12, Hebrews eight twelve. Bible says, for I will be merciful. To the unrighteousness. Oh, you better just start praying right now. You just say, start saying amen right now. And their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. Now that's shouting ground right there. And I know we don't have a big crowd on a Sunday afternoon. But I think that's, I mean, that's some time to say amen. I'll fish a little bit for that one. I'll fish for an amen on that. You know what God is not going to know? You know what he's not going to remember? Your sin and your sin and my sin and your sin. That's glorious. You remember your sin. (laughs) I remember my sin. Your spouse or your kids get upset with you. You remember their sin. You remember when you... Actually, no, not until you told me, but thanks. Let's fight about that for three days. Look, we we remember things that we wish we couldn't remember. Good night. Hang around with me and my wife for the first 10 years of our marriage. Good night. Right? I mean, I let her win a few, but... (laughs) 
Look, there are some things that if you start your mind going, you'll remember them. It'll just, it'll just mess your whole week up. You're not going to be in heaven with the Lord. You're not going to be on this earth for a thousand years with the Lord. And then all of a sudden, everything's going to be going great. And the Lord's going to turn and say, hey, do you remember when you sinned like that against me? Now, tell me that's not glorious. He is not going to do that. He is so powerful and so holy and just that his attribute is it's wiped. He doesn't he, he will. He will not. He will not even remember it. It won't be categorized. I will remember no more. He is holding nothing against you. God is glorious. I love that verse. That's my favorite verse tonight. Hebrews, he talks about it as well. I'll be merciful uh, in verse number 10. Their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. In Hebrews 8 and in, and in 10. Praise the Lord. Let's do a few more. First John 5. First John 5. First uh, John 1. How about verse 5? Let's try that. First John chapter 1, verse 5. This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. They don't exist at the same time. You can't have lights on and lights off. It's either light or darkness. God says he, he's light. So God, God's not in the dark. You ever hear it saying, hey, are you in the dark about this? Look, God's not in the dark. He's in the light. And both don't exist at the same time. And this is the condemnation that light is come into the world and that men love darkness rather than there's a contrasting than light. Why? Because their deeds, their deeds were evil. Uh, Acts 26 says to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light. Go to chapter three of first John. Look at verse number 20. Bible says we're in a. Uh, First John 3, verse 20, for if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. You see that in verse 20, for if our heart, look at verse number 19, and hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our, what, hearts. Before him, look at verse 21. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then we have confidence toward God. If he searches your heart, he's going to know all things in your heart. That's the content. In Acts chapter 1, it says, And they prayed and said, Thou Lord, which knoweth the hearts of all men, Show whether of these two thou hast chosen. And God knows all things in your heart after what? You've got to take this verse and compile it with the other verses that talk about God searching the heart. When he searches your heart, he's going to know all things in your heart. Lord searcheth all hearts. All right, last two more verses. 
Watch this, and we'll be done. Revelation 6. Revelation 6. Revelation 6, verse 1. And I saw when the Lamb, who's that? Lamb of God, right? Which taketh away the sin of the world. When I, and I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals. Who opens the seal? That would be God, the Lamb. And I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder, one of the four beasts saying, come and see. Now, what would happen if God doesn't open the seal? Very simple. This won't come to pass. If God doesn't open the seal, nothing happens. But guess what he prophesied that he would do? He would open the seal. God knows all of his ways. He has determined them. He has the foreknowledge of them. They are going to come to pass, and there's nothing you and I can do to stop it. The Lord is righteous in all his ways, holy in all his works. His ways are everlasting. God is omnipotent, all of that. Now, last verse, um, verse 17. For the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? Well, everybody, if he doesn't open up the seal, but he does open the seal. So when we talk about God's knowledge, we have to, there's a, I think we went through plenty of categories over the last three messages. But you have to take the category of God, all of his ways, all of the things he has prophesied, all of them are going to come to pass. You can't miss that or mistake that. All of the doctrines that we uphold to. From salvation, virgin birth, uh, deity of Christ, uh, all end times. It's all prophesied. We all we see Christ all throughout the Old Testament. All of his ways are known to him. And by the time you get to Revelation, for all that stuff to happen that didn't happen yet, God knows all of that. That is his ways. He will do that. And nobody will be able to stop it or stand against it. God knows his ways. You and I remember if God searches the heart, which I think we can all agree on that one. How's your heart doing? How's your heart? Let's pray. Thank you for listening to the podcast ministry of Pilgrim Baptist Church. We look forward to seeing you in the next episode. In the meantime, you can sign up for our email newsletter at www.pilgrimbaptist.church.